When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Purple Insider presented by Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com slash insider and learn about the tall boy can, which actually has water. Find out where you can get it near you at liquiddeath.com slash insider. of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, and joining me, the head of betting innovations, Ben Brown at Pro Football Focus. Uh, new title since the last time we talked, Ben? Yeah, it's uh, a little bit. Obviously, some change has happened in the PFF, you know, headquarters and, and world, uh, yeah, all things considering. But yeah, there is still a focus on betting, and thankfully, I'm, you know, more positioned, I would say, to at least steer some of that direction. So it's it's been interesting, but it's, you know, definitely good. Uh, excited for the offseason, though, I'll say that much. So, Well, uh, the biggest betting event in the universe coming up in the Super Bowl. But I have some bigger picture bets for you. I wrote down eight bets, and I want to ask you if you would make them. And they're not like, hey, uh, Miles Sanders over 14 and a half receiving yards or something. I, I got bigger picture bets. But have you started your process of figuring out which bets you're going to make for the Super Bowl, because I do feel like the prop world is probably the only place where people can get any sort of actual edge, but I'm not even sure that's really true for the Super Bowl because there's so many eyeballs on. Yeah, I mean, it is obviously interesting, and the, and the dynamics change a little bit. Like if if you're trying to you know take this as a you know job sort of thing, obviously you want to be betting early and often, but there is obviously a lot of um, you know, other considerations going into it because like the majority of money coming in for the Super Bowl is very much what people would consider this public side or very public betting because so many more people are betting, right? And, and those sorts of people kind of tend to push the, the direction of numbers towards the over. So if you are, you know, more of a, a systematic better that's trying to make money or something and in some ways, you know, uh, playing the opposite side of that towards the end as we get closer to kickoff and maybe betting some unders at that point, you know, can be a worthwhile approach and is sort of how I've, you know, uh, gone over it previously. But, you know, kind of what you said, like there's so many markets and so many offerings that we only see for the Super Bowl that there are a lot of opportunities for people to kind of under, um, you know, not necessarily price out correctly all of the events that are going to happen. So that's where I'm kind of trying to come in and fill in the gaps and maybe provide, you know, some resistance in those other markets, I would say right now. So what is the stupidest, smartest bet that someone can make around the Super Bowl? Is it the anthem? Because that's always a thing. And now, isn't it true that the anthem has gone over like a bunch of times or gone under? Is there some sort of streak involving the anthem? Yeah, it's it's gone over a number of times. I also think that, you know, we we very much that's a market that moves on information very quickly. So I think like two years ago, there was like a. Uh, a release time recorded from when, you know, the person was practicing or whatever, then like the market swung like 25 cents or something. So you very rarely see markets swing so much uh, like you can 
some of these like information based ones, but I do think that is one in particular we very much usually get information on. I know, you know, they're doing the research and, and really digging in and trying to kind of read between the lines, I would say. How about the kickoff? Can you do whether it goes out of the back of the end zone or whatever? Like there's got to be, there's something for almost every play. Right. And it, it, it is very interesting. And, and like kind of one of my jobs the past couple of seasons has been trying to, I would say like price out a lot of these events that we don't normally have. So that was very much one of them. And it, and kind of like understanding like how much of there is like a league wide trend as far as like kickoffs going into the end zone or going in as touchbacks do you use and how much of it is, you know, player specific for each team and those sorts of things. And it, and it is a balancing act. And I think with the books, you know, kind of only doing it, you know, once, once every year, it's very much more of an ad hoc process from, from their end. And I think when that happens, like it, it does create some weird, weird outcomes and those sorts of things. But from like PFF's perspective and, and one thing that I've worked on last season, we've tried to build up this what's more called like a play by play simulation. And that would give us, you know, a lot of the opportunities to price out a lot of these other markets. So that's kind of where I'm, I would say digging into this week is not only, you know, not only seeing what we price out, but like kind of comparing that to the betting market, maybe seeing if we have, you know, some blind spots in our own modeling and those sorts of things. See, I was going to make fun of you about the, you know, betting innovations <laughs> thing, but then you come back with that. Uh, so let me get to let me get to my eight bets that I wrote down, and I want you to tell me would you make them, and then we can have discussions. So four are kind of around the league, and then four regard the Vikings. I want to start out with this: uh, Patrick Mahomes for the rest of his career. Would you bet that he wins over one and a half more Super Bowls? I'm going to say after this year, I would bet the over. Um, I, in some ways, I'm including, you know, this year as kind of that calculation, but the way in which he kind of, I would say, arrived at the big stage once again, losing Tyreek Hill, kind of being banged up, like not having the receiving unit that very much, you know, a lot of other quarterbacks would need in football. Like I think it speaks to, uh, almost, and I don't think longevity is the right word, but a way in which that he can continue to kind of, perform and bring the team to be like the best team in football and not necessarily have a lot of auxiliary pieces around him. So I think you definitely have to be, I would say more bullish on his long-term outlook given kind of how he was arrived at it throughout the playoffs. And, and I very much think that, you know, for that reason, like the, the bullish case, I would say is, you know, quite high still for Patrick Mahomes and something that, you know, very much could see him winning, you know, two or three or even four more Super Bowls here uh, before he really, you know, take caters off under the, you know, the, the less prime time of his career, I would say. Yeah. I mean, think about like just when he got in the league in 2018, they had one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL and they were a player two away from beating Tom Brady and maybe a bad call or two away. So uh, for the NFL is rigged people, they were rigging it against him back then. Uh, and then now apparently they're rigging it for him, but uh, I mean, he's, he's that he was that close with a horrendous defense. So they improve their defense. They win the Super Bowl. Uh, then he gets this close with a horrendous offensive line, kind of overcomes that, gets to the Super Bowl. They improve that. Now he's back. I mean, it's it's really remarkable how he cannot be like pushed off of being in championship weekend, almost no matter what else happens. Because if you took if you took even the tenth best quarterback in the NFL and took away Tyreek Hill from them. They're probably like a 10-win team or a 9-win right. team, and they're not playing in championship weekend because there just wouldn't be enough weapons for them. And yet, I don't I don't know what the, the word is actually. It's like there's probably a word for it, but just this immovable object, like he's going to right. be there one way or the other. So it's almost crazy to bet any player to win more than one, even when they're in the Super Bowl. 
I mean, almost anyone like that made a Super Bowl, you would say like, oh, they'll probably never get back because that's just the right. odds. And yet for him, he's so much different than anybody else that you'd ever be betting on. Yeah, and it's 100% true. And it is like this idea of like he's kind of always found a way to be there at the end. Maybe he hasn't gotten, you know, all the breaks, but when when he hasn't gotten all the breaks, they've still very much had the opportunities. And I would say, you know, going back to last week game, last week's game, like they were clearly the better team, but Cincinnati did kind of have, you know, did have the ball with under two minutes to go, you know, with tie game with Joel Burrow, you know, really only needing a field goal to probably win that match if they did convert a third and 16 and still couldn't probably get into field goal range. And I just think when you are a quarterback that can continuously at least have your team in those sort of situations, like you're going to end up ahead, even if, you know, a few of the breaks and a few of the games and a few of the years don't even go your way. So, and I also think like there is, you know, specifically with Patrick Mahomes compared to where everyone else is right now, like we've already seen them kind of navigate where he's at on, you know, the veteran contract and he's very much locked in long-term and they can kind of, you know, maybe try some different things from a team building perspective to build around him and see what's going to provide him to be the most successful. But they're the one team I think that can kind of have that experimentation now with the understanding that he is going to be a league quarterback. Whereas, you know, the Joel Burrows, you know, of the world and everything else, and even the Philadelphia Eagles, like, they're still they're still figuring out how good these guys are going to potentially be on a veteran on a veteran contract, and when they don't have all these pieces in place around them, right? So I think that that's probably the the main reason why I would be you know so bullish on his long term outlook, even though like you said, like uh, you, you know even with him playing in the Super Bowl, it, there very much is probably a number of reasons why you shouldn't take the over one point five in that scenario. I'm sure you're excited to hear if he loses as someone who is from Minnesota that he can't win the big game. (laughs) Guaranteed to be the narrative uh, if if he doesn't win this one. Uh, Okay, I like that one too. Uh, And I think that it just sort of speaks to like him as this complete outlier that maybe is different from almost anyone in history except for what? Like literally Tom Brady in the way that you view him that how many teams that did Brady play on that had completely different rosters that turned over everyone around him, and yet it was still him. Of course, he did let a little air out of the ball, so that probably was the only reason <laughs> that he was able to do that. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's it's amazing how, like, there's only a couple of these players really through history that have this type of effect, and he's one of them. Uh, the next one I had for you is – is would you bet that anyone except for Brock Purdy or Trey Lance is playing quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers next year? I mean, uh, before this morning when I woke up and found out that Tom Brady was retired, I would have like at least considered him to be a potential option there. I know, you know, a, a lot of people listening are going to be Vikings, you know, backers and supporters. And I do think there's, you know, a reasonably good case for me being excited if they somehow got Kirk Cousins involved in the in the 49ers, you know, quarterback search. But I would be very surprised if like anybody else kind of, you know, they still have, I would say, a ton of remaining questions about Trey Lance to the point where, you know, they're going to want to keep him on the roster for another season, not necessarily, you know, sell low on his potential, especially given what they gave up. So, I think he's there next year. Obviously, Brock Purdy should very much be there. I know his, you know, the surplus value on his contract already is, you know, more than paid for it, even, you know, what he provided through eight or nine games for them this season. But I think he's going to be in the fold. The, 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 the more interesting question is, you know, given the injury considerations and everything else, like who's actually starting for them at the end of the season. But I would be, um, you know, I would say shocked to, 
say that it, it there, I would be very surprised if like Trey Lance didn't have at least some opportunities to start football games in the regular season next year. So my bet would be on the no. I, I do think it's probably going to be just Brock Purdy and Trey Lance and, and trying to figure out how good Kyle Shanahan could be with either one of those guys. Yeah, I mean, because Trey Lance will be at full health by that point, and you can plan on him being your quarterback, and then whenever Brock Purdy is ready, if you need to turn to Brock Purdy, you can. And what we've seen from that team is even if Trey Lance was not good, they would probably still win half their games anyway, Right. Uh, assuming yeah. that they don't have any catastrophic things happen to them before the beginning of next season. Like, that roster is mostly going to stay together. And this is an injury that Brock Purdy has that other quarterbacks have had, it's not exactly like a baseball player having it, but even when baseball players have Tommy John, they just come back and they're really good pitchers right. again. So I assume that uh, if they do think that Brock Purdy can really be their guy, that he'll be ready to go by some point next season and be able to step back in. Uh, but there's always that in the back of my mind, like teams get anxious when they get close and then they do stuff. And with Cousins, I can't make it work in my head, though, because right. the Vikings would have to trade him there. And if you're the Vikings, are you in a position to be like, oh, yeah, fellow NFC team who I think they're <laughs> going to play next year. Here's a right. good quarterback that you were able to be as good as you were with Brock Purdy. Why don't you have an even better quarterback? Like, why would you do that? Plus the salary cap considerations, the 49ers are, are going to have their cap and a lot of players that have been good for them get expensive next year. I just can't like make that happen. But that love affair between Shanahan and Cousins just always kind of rests over everything. Right. Right. It, it very much just lingers as like, I don't know if it's a pipe dream for some or a nightmare for others, but it very much always seems to have, you know, some sort of connection. And we see that across the league. But kind of going back to it, I know you I know you mentioned an interesting point about like Trey Lance specifically and how he wouldn't even really need to be all that great for them to arrive at even, you know, an above five hundred uh, you know, record with him kind of starting. But I do think there is like an interesting floor that Trey Lance can provide, especially with his legs and that offense where he probably, you know, if he was if he was asked to make a lot of the same throws that Brock Purdy was asked to make down the stretch and then also provided, you know, a little bit with, in, in the rushing attack. And he was kind of opening up things in a way that we've seen, you know, more dynamic or other dynamic quarterbacks kind of open up things for their running back like Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson, like, that kind of, you know, adds an interesting wrinkle to that offense as well. And I think one is one of the main reasons why they went up and actually made the move for him when he did. So I still think there's even, you know, if he doesn't end up being a, you know, a top five or top 10 passing quarterback, there is still a number of ways or levers that I think Kyle Shanahan could still have a really successful offense with him kind of running the show. So I do think it's bullish. And I know like the Cousins thing is, it's unfortunate and the, you know, his contract and everything else just doesn't make a ton of sense, but it's uh it's a definitely a spot where I agree with you. Like the Vikings seem like even though maybe they shouldn't, they, they should very much, they very much are probably setting up to kind of run back where they were, you know, once again this season, I would say. So. Yeah. With Trey Lance, there was a report that they might try to trade him and just roll with Purdy, which obviously kind of goes out the window with that injury, but it didn't really make sense to me anyway. Um, if they were going to trade him and the reported price was something like a third round pick, it was like, what, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just right. keep Trey Lance? I mean, unless someone was going to back up the Brinks truck of draft capital and give you a first round pick for him and you were a hundred percent sold on Brock Purdy, which I don't know how you could be. It's a great right. run, but we've seen other guys have great runs that were not truly great quarterbacks. Um, so none of that really made sense to me. It makes much more sense to just roll with it. 
I just like there's scenarios that run through your head though. The Brady coming back right before training camp. Hey everybody, I'm back. Uh, or uh, you know, Derek Carr ends up there somehow, or like you just uh, kind of have no idea. Uh, but I think the most logical one is that either one of those guys is starting from day one. How about this one? Uh, Sean Payton and his time as a Denver Bronco more than one and a half playoff wins in his entire tenure as a Denver Bronco head coach. I should have looked at, I would say, some more specifics related to his contract. I'm sure those details aren't out there yet, but this one's tough. I mean, this one, I think if you were kind of like just looking at, you know, from a marriage perspective or whatever, like going the Sean Payton route with Russell Wilson and the contract and given where they're at, like it probably made the most sense to see if a guy like Sean Payton can potentially maximize and, and, you know, figure out how to put Russell Wilson in the best, you know, position to succeed. So I do get that. I still just don't know if I'm, you know, optimistic enough for that to really happen. So I would say, and given, you know, the AFC West and everything else and kind of where I, you know, believe that, you know, Patrick Holmes very much is going to be and also kind of where, you know, Justin Herbert is, even if, you know, the Raiders take a couple steps back, even from where they were, I think it's still a really difficult path for the Broncos. So I'm, I'm probably going, I'm going under 1.5. I guess I'm just not a believer in, you know, the Peyton Wilson you know, a situation really resolving so well that they can, you know, I would say arrive as actual contenders in the AFC. I just have a tough time seeing Russell Wilson being a different version than what he was last year. Like, where does that come from? Because the athleticism is basically gone. Unless he was playing with an injury uh, that we didn't know about that is 100% healed. But usually when you're in your mid-30s, and uh, I know this quite well, if you get the smallest injury, it kind of lingers. That's what right, makes right. Tom Brady so ridiculous. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I mean, uh, just playing rec league basketball takes me like three days to recover. So I totally relate to Russell Wilson, a star pro athlete. But, I mean, Donovan McNabb was a good example of this uh, to tie it into Minnesota. Right. When he was the same age as Russell Wilson, he was playing as a Viking, and he was a hysterical disaster. After being one of the great athletes at his position, a running quarterback, a playmaker. So if that element is not there, then you're talking about a pocket quarterback, Russell Wilson, which is just not Russell Wilson. It's not who he right. is. Uh, what made him and, great and, was his ability to to make plays out of structure and to scramble. So I have a tough time thinking that Sean Payton just dials up the, the old Drew Brees package and he can operate it the same way because Brees was always a pocket quarterback and right. he was never a big armed guy going downfield. He was just a version of himself that was throwing the ball a little slower as he went right. along. And not only that, but Brees also, I mean, to me, he's a much better quarterback than Wilson, but he also knew that offense for years and years and years and right. years. Now Wilson's got to learn another offense uh, that's built for him. I have a tough time with that one. I also think that Sean Payton, probably just came for the money. I mean, because there's no right. objective look at that Denver team to be like, oh, yeah, oh, this is on the way there. Probably just like, oh, 20 million? Uh, yeah, okay, right. I'll get a, I'll get some skis. Right. It's it's interesting. I do think, you know, how they land at the defensive coordinator position, whether they go with Fangio or whether, you know, they keep a guy, uh, you know, who they have now in Isiro Averro. But I, I think it's I, – I, the point that I was thinking about and kind of you basically touched on it was like the – the ways in which Russell Wilson was actually successful previously, like in Seattle and stuff, was very much on these like almost YOLO deep ball type shots or whatever that he could sling 40 yards up in the air and 40 yards down and kind of drop it in the bucket. And like that's never been Sean Payton's offense, right? I know, you know, Drew Brees was very much limited in that regard, but it's very low A dot. It's being accurate. And I think those are the two spots that 
Wilson was really, really poor, you know, I, I would say especially this season, like not being able to complete those throws or even, you know, come anywhere close. So, like, there's just, there's a, there's too many question marks, I would say, to really buy into them, figuring it out, especially given the, you know, the deepness of the AFC. But I think you, I think you touched on it. Like, the, the, the fit just seems odd, even though, it, you know, looking at it from like top down view, it probably makes a lot of sense. But when you dig into some of the scheme based things, there's, there's a lot to, I would say, kind of dislike about both sides of it, I would say. And I just don't see them coming across receivers who are good enough to be the DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett that he had. Like, those guys are just hard to replace. And I think both of those guys fall into the category of, like, just below Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, but in that second-tier elite receivers, and he had two of them. Uh, And that does make a big difference. So I'm not not, not buying this, even though I do think Sean Payton is a good coach. Uh, On a Minnesota sports podcast, you can only go that far because uh, there's a lot of – a lot of dislike there for Sean Payton, and I understand it. How about this one? Speaking of dislike for Minnesota sports fans, the Lions, Bears, and Packers, would you bet any of those teams to make a Super Bowl by 2026? 2000, man. You're putting a lot of pressure on Restore the War right here. I don't know. I honestly, like, and going back to the Vikings discussion and stuff, but like if you look around, like maybe outside of Green Bay, if they don't get rid of Aaron Rodgers, but it's very hard to not say that you know Detroit and Chicago are both going to be ex- probably way better than what they were even at this year. So I would be, I, I, although I think it's probably a pretty tall task. I also think that the NFC is down enough to the point where one or two, you know, one of these teams could potentially make a surprise run and do it. I I think if you gave me a little bit further of an extended out window, I would buy into, um, you know, the Bears specifically, just because I I do think that, you know, Justin Fields can kind of turn it around. And if they do decide to, you know, stockpile, you know, other opportunities at other positions, and he does kind of hit in that third or fourth year, like their window is probably, I would say, open for a number of years. I, I do still think, you know, for as much love as, you know, some people like to give Jared Goff, I think there is probably a question of, how good he's going to be long-term, you know, especially if they don't have Ben Johnson in the fold. I know he's signed on for next year, but I think when he kind of steps away, like they, there could be a, a pretty big shift for, um, for the Lions offensively. So I, I, although I would say I'm maybe probably, you know, decently bullish on the, both the Lions and the Bears, I think the answer is still probably no, um, to get there in 2026. I think the Bears are probably going to need a couple more years and still very much probably have too many question marks for me to really feel confident about. Um, you know, them arriving probably out of schedule at that point. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out also still along with the rest of the world and the Chicago Bears what Justin Fields really is because uh, last year he had a Vince Young season where his passing was still pretty bad and his running was spectacular and they were able to stay competitive in games because his running was great, but that always has a ceiling on it if you can't at least throw competently, but also offensive line, receivers, like all those things. Uh, they were horrendous, <laughs> about as bad right. as you can set up somebody who's only in his second year. And just looking back historically, I looked at all the rookies' second years back to like 2000 or something, and it was really kind of inconclusive through two years. Right. Through three years, total different story. You knew who everybody was going to be through three years as quarterbacks. So next year should tell us a lot more. I think they could at best have a Jaguars-like season next year where we go like, oh, that's a team on the rise. But we're probably not saying they're there yet. 
But with the cap space they have, man, I mean, they can spend and spend around Justin Fields almost as much as they want for probably a couple of years. Uh, but they'll have to hit on some draft picks. I'm not entirely sold on that. Isn't Jared Goff one of the weirdest quarterbacks ever? I mean, I'm- because <laughs> no, nobody ever thinks he's a number one pick. No one ever thinks of him as being great. And when you watch him, you never think like, whoa. But at the same time, he's led three offenses in the top five in scoring in his career. Right. And, uh, right. you know, last year you could look at it as an anomaly because they were trying to lose. I, I guess I've always wanted to give him more credit than, say, like the PFF graders who have never really liked right. uh, what they've seen from Jared Goff. There is something about the guy being able to operate what he's asked to do, even if sometimes it's not pretty in particular with like his accuracy could be a bit off or some of the plays are just awful. But it's it's right. very Garoppolo-ish where it's like the production, though, is is very good from Jared Goff. Yeah, the the production holds true, like the EPA perspective. Obviously, there's like an element of the, you know, the play calling and everyone thinks, you know, the Sean McVay's or, or you know, the the gods of the play calling and all this stuff. But, it, you know, the high the high yards after the catch stuff, I think, probably gets overstated. Um, you know, obviously, you know, playing with, you know, guys like Cooper Cup or whatever can help that. But he, he's had he's had pieces for sure at the wide receiver position. But I'm, I'm in kind of in agreement with you in the fact that, like, he probably hasn't gotten enough credits still you know, removed from the play calling and removed from the yards after the catch to the point where he is operating really well from an EPA perspective. So I, I agree with you. I think, you know, where they end up and if they can potentially put a team around him and pay him, you know, still and hit on some of the draft picks, I think is still a question mark. So uh, I would maybe lean more the, uh, you know, uh, probably more in the PFF grading perspective and outlook of, you know, Jared Goff than you would, but I do think that at least some consideration for, you know, just how well he's done outside of the, you know, the obvious factors that people always point to for why he's been so successful is is definitely, a, you know, valid. When he has an offensive line in front of him, he's legit great. Yeah, like yeah. if he could sit back there and throw, uh, he can be accurate. He can be extremely sharp. He can operate whatever. But if anybody moves him off his spot, it's it's very it's like Drew Bledsoe-esque to me. If anybody moves him off his spot, like, just forget about it. That's not happening. But if he can stand right there and step and throw, he's as good as anybody in the NFL. And uh, I think the way they've built their offensive line gives them a chance to be a legitimate contender next year, uh, depending on what they do this offseason. But I I think the roar has been restored, and they're on their way. Um, Chicago is much more variance when it comes to that. And Green Bay, I really have no idea. I think, you know, if they hit on Jordan Love, they're in a weird position to then have to pay him instantly, which then right. makes everything so much harder. And a lot of their players are getting older who are keys guys for them. Uh, but if Christian Watson becomes great, maybe there's a chance. I just see them as being like behind the other teams that recently tanked. Um, right. On to a couple of the Vikings ones here. Uh, would you bet that this offseason, Justin Jefferson signs a deal worth more than $30 million per year average annual value this offseason? I think so. I honestly think they're going to do it. I think they kind of have to in a lot of ways as well. And I think the, you know, the, the, the dollar figure in APY is only going to go up. So if they do want to lock in, you know, I would say Jefferson, like this is kind of the offseason to do it. He's definitely shown that he's, he, he, he's very much going to be like the best receiver in football over that. Um, over that contract length. So I think just giving it to him, figuring out the rest later, maybe still, you know, trying to resolve the, the, I'm not, I don't want to call it a situation at quarterback, but, you know, the multiple year outlook for how they're going to actually 
have a guy, maybe even if it's a guy on the rookie deal, um, to potentially pair with them. Like that's that, that's all questions I want to answer probably after locking in Justin Jefferson long term. So I, I I like the play. I hope it happens. I think it needs to happen at this point for Vikings fans as well. I've been telling you guys about liquid death all football season, and there's a good reason why. Because it's great. You might think that it wouldn't make a difference whether water was in a can or a bottle, but I promise you that it does. I never drank water before because I just didn't like the way it tasted, but coming out of the ice-cold can, now I'm drinking it all the time. I'm also mixing the lime-flavored water with orange juice, so I've got some good options there. Liquid Death isn't just called that, by the way, so it could kill your thirst. It is also bringing an end to those bottles where the water doesn't even taste that great coming out of anyway. They're also not good for the environment because they aren't as easily recycled as cans, so it works on a bunch of different levels, and it looks like a tall boy beer if you're trying to mess with people or, I don't know, fit in at football parties. You can find this water revolution at Target, Hy-Vee, 7-Eleven, and more. Go to liquiddeath.com insider, liquiddeath.com insider. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I think they go to him with a blank check, but my right. question is whether he signs it because it's a guarantee for him that he will make money and catch passes. But is it a guarantee that he wants to be a Viking and do those things? Is it a guarantee that he wants to right. stay here through whatever they draft as a quarterback? And then it's it's a little chicken and egg, right? Like if you're a quarterback in college, if you're Anthony Richardson or Tanner McKee or whoever, and you get picked, and you get to throw to Jefferson, you're probably going to be a lot better than you would if you threw right. to wh- whoever the hell that uh, Bellis, you know, Bellis Jones, Jones was throwing to this year or something, <laughs> or, or you know Justin Fields. But yeah. but then if you're Jefferson and you're like, wait, your guys are going to draft a quarterback. I don't know if he's going to be good. I don't know if I want that guy. You know, if I waste three years of my career because you guys draft the next Zach Wilson, then what? I could see him saying, I'd rather wait another year and see where this franchise stands than play this out. And I don't know how he feels about Kirk Cousins. I think that he's always been a defender of Kirk Cousins, but at the same time, he's never seen the second round of the playoffs. And I think that he wants that as well. And that's tied to the quarterback and the money is tied to the quarterback. How could you sign Cousins to a five-year extension and make him a Viking for the rest of his career if you're also going to pay Jefferson and Derisaw two of the highest paid positions? Like, this just doesn't work out. So if you're him, I think you want to know where you stand before you put the pen to paper. Yeah, it is really interesting because I think the the key for me is not understanding where he's actually at with Kirk Cousins because, like you said, like publicly he has very much said probably as much as you could expect and very much been a vocal supporter of him. But if if he doesn't, if he doesn't buy into Cousins even long term, like he could balk this offseason, right? But I think if he doesn't balk, like it might not be that he's completely committed to Kirk Cousins, but at least he understands that like he could maybe get to where he wants to go with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. So it is an interesting, you know, dichotomy for me. I do think that I, I, I probably would have, you know, expected him to sign it and maybe 
was viewing it more as like the, the, the Vikings need to make the decision, but um, you know, how he evaluates where this quarterback, you know, where they're going to go at quarterback very much is kind of going to be the, 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 the litmus test for whether he actually signs it or not this season. But I think that, that, that very much, you know, has to play into the Vikings direction, both this off season and how they want to approach next year as well too. Right. So um, it's, it's, it's a lot of interesting and that, and that's why it's like, it's so weird to know you know to be on with the vikings because it's like they they very much have such a wide range of outcomes for where they could land at next year and then they're like you know it's more of the same or something too right so um it, it it's definitely an interesting discussion i would say what a perfect lead into my next bet which is vikings <laughs> over under nine and a half wins for next season <laughs> I'm going to take the under. I have to. I mean, I, I mean, I think, you know, given the, you know, the, the schedule basically is going to obviously going to be difficult playing, you know, the first seeds of the other divisions. Um, I do think that the NFC North also got a lot better. And like there is, I think for, for, for Vikings fans that do want to maybe play the long term game or whatever, like there is a, there is a, a pretty strong case or underlying for why you don't, you, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to go eight and, eight and nine or whatever right and you in some ways don't want to go like six and eleven either basically like you kind of want to be you know three and 14 or something next year and have the high draft pick and be able to choose a guy like caleb williams or drake may and very much you know answer that question for justin jefferson at quarterback or kind of swing the other way and to me like they're just they're they're not you know especially with how they you know landed at the end of this season like they're just not even in a week and, you know, uh, down NFC, like I just don't see outside of like a number of breaks for them actually getting through to the Super Bowl. And I think if that's your goal, if that's like your goal is just to make it to another first round or second round playoff exit, like it, it's probably time to go, go the direction of the most, most pain in the, in the shortest outlook and then kind of arrive where you want to get to after those dark days, I would say. I mean, if you think about it, you know, this year their point differential suggested they they were more like an eight or nine win team, right. and that doesn't mean you didn't win the games and that we all didn't have a lot of fun covering them. But if they were to play this, even this version of the team next year against the schedule they're going to face, which is a lot harder than this year's schedule, uh, that you know, the, you're talking about probably a six or seven win football team if they right. run a lot of the same things back and then people are older. So they have to make some major overhaul types of changes and they have to be ready for a setback. But you could also see them trying another Zadarius Smith-like move or a Patrick Peterson-like move like, hey, it worked for us last year. So let's just get a veteran this or a veteran that or, hey, we'll draft this. And I'm sure that guy will step in right away, even though a lot of times the rookies do not step in and and make a huge impact right away. Um, You could see them taking that approach and getting to like eight or nine wins. Or even 10, depending on how things play out. Right. Because if Fields is horrendous and you get two wins there, or Jordan Love stinks and you get a couple wins there, like I could see 10 wins. And when I get a final look at it before I pick the schedule, I probably will pick 10 wins. Just knowing the way that this team has always sort of operated with, well, we're going to cobble together these free agents and I, I promise our draft picks will be better and this player will right. be better next year and Kirk sort of sets a floor for you. So I think that if you're picking it, you'd be only picking to probably get to 10 at this very moment where everything can still change. But the under makes a lot more sense. Right. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. I mean, like all the cases, I I think like, like you said, like in the most bullish cases, it's like, 
it is squeaking out 10 wins, right? And it is very much there because like they 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 don't have a ton of they don't have a ton of options outside of like in some ways tearing it down defensively as well, right? And then running it back, you know, hoping hoping guys like Louis Sign are like backing in the fold and hoping some of these younger, you know, cornerbacks can very much figure it out in a new new defensive scheme. But like they 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 have maybe a little bit of flexibility, but there's just not a lot out there at key positions that they really want to go after from you know the the, the veteran market and you know even Zaire Smith like really high you know pressure rate everything else but just like you know kind of wasn't there from a sacks perspective in the latter half of the season right so it's like the, they hit and they help but th- there has to be I, I would say especially from the front office the understanding and viewpoint that the record was what it was last year but it, it probably isn't the perfect reflection of where this team is currently at and what we can expect you know, from that team again in 2023, I would say. And I think the reason that you hire Kwesi Adafo Mensa is to realize that um, and right, not Dave right. Gettleman, who might not. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, two more real quick. Two more real quick. Uh, Vikings draft a quarterback. What odds would you put on it? Any, ro- any round quarterback? Is that the... Well, how about uh, how about we go first rounder or second first round? First round, okay. Second round okay. So first round right, quarterback. okay. Any round, they probably would, will. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I would say pretty, pretty low. I mean, at, at that range, where they're at, like it feels like it's only kind of like an Anthony Richardson sort of choice. I would say because it is a little bit of like a dead zone from the court. It, you know, like the latter half of the first round, kind of unless there's like nobody really at the top, it always seems to kind of you know be this dead zone um, towards the end. So I would say probably under 15% chance uh, they draft a quarterback under 10% chance they draft a quarterback um, is my read. But I do think they're going to go late round. I, I think like the Nick Mullins trade and everything else kind of signaled like he is like the short term, you know, backup, but they very much need to and should draft somebody to at least I would say kind of fill in that, that, that backup gap for sure. I just hope that I don't hear anyone say we're looking for the next Brock Purdy. Uh, right. Because uh, you'll hear it. You'll hear it. <laughs> just 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 like uh, in Jalen Hurts's year it was everyone was talking about, you know, we, we could use a Taysom Hill type. This guy's a real Taysom Hill type. And I haven't heard that since because Taysom Hill doesn't matter right. that much. Um, but, you know, I I think that you're probably in the right ballpark. I also think that you hired Kwesi Adafo Mensa to do the smartest things for your franchise. And the smartest thing might be to trade up to 15 or whatever and get the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board. Because in recent years, that has not meant that you get the worst quarterback. And sometimes it's even meant you get the best quarterback. Um, And uh, that was definitely the case with someone like Lamar Jackson. Uh, I I think that that makes so much sense. And they're in a rare position where you actually could let the guy sit for a year and then move on from Kirk Cousins. But it also just feels very pipe dreamy compared to what they've done because for years, there's been a case to do this, and every year it was the same. Like, well, right. we need a corner, <laughs> we need a guard. Like, is this, that, at some point, yeah. realize that there's nothing more important than this. Right. I mean that, and that's it. And honestly, like you mentioned it though, right? Like Lamar Jackson, like he was there at the end of the first round, probably the only one that like kind of hit there and and like kind of made sense. And like the Vikings very much didn't have the solution at the quarterback position or whatever. Right. And it's like, the more you at least take those swings of the bat, like the better opportunity you have to at least find that guy. Right. And if you're not willing to even swing the bat, like that's on you. And I, and I do think it goes back to Questy, And I do think it goes back to like, you know, he obviously understands the opportunity 
to draft a quarterback, you know, especially maybe in that range. And so that would should and probably does provide some signal that the odds should be a little bit higher than what I what I projected. But it, it's still a spot where it seems like unless they do give up some draft capital and get up to, I would say, even before 15 or something, uh, unless they identify something in a guy that, you know, you know, th- that, you know, they very much believe in, like, I, I just don't. I just don't see them making that risk given the current state, I would say. so. Okay, last one for you. Would you bet that Kwesi Adafo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell get second contracts as the Vikings head coach and general manager? I will bet, yeah, I do think so. Um, you know, this is obviously like a pretty big inflection point already, I would say, in some ways for that. Um, but I do think there's a path to them even having a down year and, and kind of resetting and maybe not having to go through the complete rebuild and then being, you know, on the verge of the playoffs once again in 2024, very much like in contention with teams like Green Bay and teams like Detroit and teams like Chicago. So I think we see it. I do. I, you know, I, I was really bullish on, you know, the, 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 how it kind of landed last year for both of them. I did think like, you know, the, the marriage between them two or whatever, like seemed to make a lot of sense. And I think, you know, after year one, you know, they exceeded expectations in, in seemingly every single way. So uh, I think you have to buy into that. And I think that, you know, they definitely identified Questy as the guy who can figure out the the long-term solution at quarterback. So giving them the the opportunities to actually do that, I think, is in the best case of, you know, Vikings and Vikings fans. So I would, I would love to see it. And I do probably bet it to happen, you know, at, at greater than even odds, I would say right now. I think so too. And I think that as long as the culture is generally good, the ownership is patient and uh, they really seem to only want to step in with Zimmer and Spielman after things got very toxic uh, in the front office, rather than even just the winning part of it. That was what seemed to put them over the edge. And with these guys, I think they've they've gotten that down a little bit better. However, uh, losing destroys everyone's soul. So if right. they, if that, that, that's what it really comes down to, to me is that I think this off season will determine that because if they don't nail this off season, and I'm not even saying the direction that I think is right is will determine that they might run it back and be great again. Uh, but if they fall apart this off season and don't have a good draft and don't pick up good free agents that work for them long-term or don't manage the cap well or don't manage the quarterback situation or don't manage Justin Jefferson. There's so many things resting on this offseason alone that you are going to go one way or the other. And if they go into the mediocrity route uh, because they don't handle it well, then they might not get second contracts. I think there's a reason why they went short-term with both guys because it was kind of like, we're going to throw you into the fire and see what happens, but not lock ourselves in for six, seven, eight years, like, you know, with some other head coaches or with general managers. A, a fascinating situation, Ben. Uh, let me, let yeah. me close on this. Who's going to win the Super Bowl, you think? So I know I'm going against our guy, uh, Eric Eager, but I do think oh, the no. Eagles, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting matchup, I would say, because, you know, very much like we said, the Patch Mahomes, top quarterback, everything else versus, you know, the, the team that can very much get there. But I think Jalen Hurts can provide enough. enough. I also think that, you know, the Chiefs receiving situation is maybe more dire from an injury perspective than what we expected. So uh, I, I just think that, you know, the Eagles can once again kind of play bully ball. I like their matchup, you know, along the interior offense line and at the edges as well from a run perspective. So I think they're going to be able to establish it early. And I think that if they do, like outside of some completely brilliant performance from Patrick Mahomes, uh, I think the expectation has to be that they win it. So I, I like the Eagles. I like him by like, you know, a field goal or touchdown, but 
I also think it could maybe get a little bit out of hand here as well, you know, kind of like the previous two playoff games have. Mm. I uh, when you said a brilliant performance by Mahomes, like I'm going to make that bet. I'm just going to put it. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Uh, I, he's getting my Brady rule where I never bet against Brady, uh, right. you know, just because he's Brady. And even when it's 28 to three, you're like, well, he probably could uh, at PFF underscore Ben Brown on Twitter. Master Chief Chief Officer of Operating <laughs> Innovations or whatever for PFF. No, you do uh, you do great stuff. You're a good follow on Twitter, and uh, I really appreciate you coming out. What is the actual title again? Yeah, so PFF underscore Ben Brown Twitter. Yeah, head of betting innovation. It probably head deserves to be made fun of. So I I can definitely yeah. I didn't get to I didn't get to name uh, the title at least I did try to, but it was uh, yeah company man I guess for sure unfortunately. So. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, uh, good good to connect with a Minnesota gone Iowa, uh, such as yourself. And uh, we'll do it again soon, man. Great to talk with you. For sure. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate it. Anytime. Uh, this was a pleasure, I'm sure. Thanks, Matt. All right, before we wrap up the show, just wanted to bring you guys a bonus interview in which I had a chance to talk with Fox Sports rules analyst Dean Blandino when I was filling in on WCCO radio earlier this week and had a really fun conversation. So here is myself and Dean Blandino. All right, back here in for Henry Lake, Matthew Collar with you, and we welcome in rules analyst from Fox Sports, Dean Blandino. I'm going to start off uh, in a place where I'm going to guess you don't get too many people starting off interviews, Dean. Uh, I want to talk about the XFL and what you guys did with the XFL because I know you're involved in that, and I loved it, and I loved it. I loved that there were some new things tried in that league, and one of them was – more transparency with the rules. And when I see people losing their minds and things like that on Twitter and saying the league is rigged and all this crazy stuff, one thing I think about was how great that was to have a better understanding of what was going on with the rules in the XFL. And I know maybe not every fan saw it who watches the NFL, but I would I would love to hear you talk about your guys' process in that and – if there's any chance we could see more things like it, like inside the booth with the replays and hearing what the referees were talking about, uh, I would love to see more of that in the NFL. No question. We're really excited. We felt like XFL in 2020, we had more transparency than, than really any level of football, any, any game that, uh, you know, was broadcasted for people to watch. And we're going to expand on that. And, and you really, hit the nail on the head in that when you don't see the process, when you don't know what's going on, that's when people start to come up with these conspiracy theories and all of these different things. But when you can watch it and see it and, and, and hear it, it's just, you get a better understanding. You may not always agree with the rule or the decision, but you don't walk away with questions as to, as to why or how it happened. And that's something that we felt was really important with a new league and trying to get people engaged. And, and we're going to see more of it. You know, I don't know if the NFL, the NFL has such a long history and tradition, and there's a lot of that legacy that, that makes it harder to just, hey, we're going to pull back the curtain completely. Right. But I think, I think the NFL needs to look at that in, in some way, especially as it pertains to officiating, because – Look, there's a lot of talk. You have the games on Sunday where there were some controversial calls, and then you get fans of one team or or the other team that are saying, "Well, the officials are out to get us." You know, there's a, there's you know they they don't like our our team or whatever it may be. 
And if the NFL would be more transparent, people would see, look, I was part of the NFL for a very long time. And, and there's no, the officials want to get it right more than anyone. It's just, it's a fast game. It happens really quick and the officials are human and sometimes they make mistakes. So what is the holdup? I mean, on that, I mean, we are we are in a world, though, where, you know, NFL films will take us to the sideline and we can listen to Patrick Mahomes beg to go back in the game when he gets injured. But it seems like they're very protective of the refs. And I I think that's right to some extent uh, because they get attacked constantly and it's a impossible task to get everything right. And you know what? You're right that. 32 of 32 fan bases thinks the refs are out to get them. So I guess how could it be that every team – anyway, that's not the point. Yeah. But but yeah, it, exactly. but are there reasonable steps that you could see actually happening? I know that we're never going to get every, every single thing that we want to hear from the referees, but it feels like there could be more. There, there definitely could be more. And I think it's it's still a holdover – from old school thinking before the internet, before there, you know, everyone had more access to video and information and where you could just, you know, kind of ignore the, the media or ignore that, that kind of push towards getting more information about officiating. But those days are over the access. Like you said, we're, we're listening to what Patrick Mahomes is saying on the sideline. We're seeing all of these different things and, and everyone is, you know, has a platform and I think the league has taken some steps, and, and they're on Twitter. NFL officiating's on Twitter, and they do they do tweet out from time to time. But I think sometimes you can you can gain credibility if you come out and admit a mistake. And, and I don't think you can do that. You can't do that every game, right? You can't say, "Well, we we missed ten calls this game," because that undermines the credibility of the officials. Of and you also have officials that you know, you have to continue to keep in, 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 a, in a good place because they're going to go out and work the following week and, and we want them to be successful. But I think there's an opportunity to just be more transparent. And if there is a missed call, hey, it, we miss this. Here's why. Here's what we're doing to correct it. And, and I think people will, they might not feel completely great about it, but I think they'll feel a little bit better where they can let it go and move on versus just nothing. And then they're wondering what happened. Fox Sports Rules Analyst Dean Blandino joining us here on the John Schuster Caldwell Bankwell uh, Banker Hotline. I bet everyone does that. Um, so, I, I, so I wanted to ask what holding is um, because I would love yeah. to understand that. But uh, I also wanted to comment that uh, I can't imagine what the NFL officiating Twitter's mentions look like every weekend on Sunday. <laughs> oh, my God. Be, whoever <laughs> runs that, the poor social media go person is probably there, an intern. Go on there. If, if you want a good laugh. <laughs> Go on there after they tweet something and just read. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it on my – people still think that I make decisions. You know, oh. I'm just commenting on it, and people still think. So my comments are pretty funny. The comments on that Twitter handle are, are really good. Yes, and if you explain what happened, then you're just defending the refs because you're part of the ref Illuminati and all that yes. sort of stuff. Yes, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm an accomplice, no, no doubt. But I would I- – I just think that there are some rules in the NFL that are so difficult for the referees to call that the answer feels like more replay. But then when they tried to do pass interference replay, that was kind of a mess and holding interference. And also every time somebody falls on the quarterback a little too much, then sometimes we get a flag. Sometimes we don't get a flag. And I think that that if we could resolve some of that, it would eliminate maybe 75% of the crazy tweets that go to NFL officiating. And, and I don't know what the answer is, but maybe you've got a better solution there. 
Well, I think it's a balance. And I think we've seen the league take some steps to introduce more replay. I felt like pass interference was a complete and total disaster. And, mm-hmm. You know, anytime you, anytime you had a rule because of one play and look, it was a big play. We get it. It was the NFC championship game. And, in re, you know, the Saints should have been in the Super Bowl. We get that. But it's one play and then you change a rule. And we got to see how it's so hard to review those plays because the rules are written so officials can make decisions in real time at full speed. And then whenever you use slow motion to review something, you're always going to distort it to some extent. But I think there are opportunities. Um, like you, you mentioned the quarterback. Is there is there a set of player safety rules, whether it's roughing the passer or hits on defenseless players, where there's some objective part of that call? You know, did he hit the player in the head-neck area? Those types of things that could be reviewable. They do it in college with targeting. I think you can do that. I think you can introduce, uh, and they're doing a good job with with expediting these reviews and, and, and being more efficient. But there's a balance because I don't think anyone wants to watch a game where every time an official makes a call, we're getting word from upstairs that they've got to correct something or moving the ball a half yard or correcting the clock. Because then you have just so many interruptions in the game and it just it's not a fun game to watch. So I think there's a balance. I think technology will continue to improve. It's going to improve at a at a much faster rate than than, a, than human beings. You know, their eyesight isn't going to change. They're they're still have to move and get in position to see different things. So I think it's a balance of using technology, using it, you know, efficiently, but also not overusing it where it interrupts the game too much. No, that's a great point because basketball and baseball both suffer with this, with the replay, where if somebody bops somebody else in the head a little bit too hard, it's like, whoa, everybody stop the game. And I've been in the arena when this happened. It's just miserable. It's just like, is he bleeding? Yeah. It's fine. Everybody move on. Uh, and with baseball, oh, well, it was a bang, bang play at first. And now we're going to stop the whole game and challenge it and and everything else. And it's just a terrible experience. Um, But I have been a pro sky judge person. I think that if we had just things that sky judge, if if you will, uh, could look at. And one of those things is definitely with the quarterback because it's such a significant penalty when someone hits the quarterback too hard and they throw a flag and it's happening so no fast. Question. Like I think of the, the Chris Jones one where I could understand how that referee would have thought that Chris Jones threw his body on the quarterback, uh, but he didn't like just in, in, in getting another look at it. So I think that if there was a sure. set of certain things that they could look at uh, and that it was only those things, it would be better. And you know what? I think Dean, that the NFL might have the budget for this. I think, I don't know if they no, have enough. They definitely, they, they definitely have the budget. Budget's not a problem. It's just how much they're willing to spend on officiating. And, uh, but you're right. And I think that that's the thing, what, what, what we've learned with replay, and this goes back to 1999, I was involved with bringing replay back into the NFL. And we had a, a small set of reviewable plays, and, and it was limited. But every year something happened, and then you add to it, right? And then you continue to add to it. And now if you look at the replay rule compared to what it was in 1999, it's so much more extensive. And that's always the concern with, yes, the good intentions. We want to start with a small group of plays, rough in the pass or whatever it may be. But then somebody's going to miss a face mask. And then we're going to say, well, why can't we review that? Or, or that, that was, you know, that, that was a, a, a defensive hold. We should be able to review that. And then you, you just expand. And then at some point, right, the simplest thing to do 
is just say, hey, coaches get three challenges per game. You have three timeouts, challenge or whatever you want. It has to be obvious to change it, and it's simple and cleaner, um, and it's limited. I, I don't know. I think we, we, we keep continue to creep in that direction, and at some point we're going to have to say, what, what is replay designed for? Is it designed to correct everything, or is it designed to correct the obvious mistake in a significant situation. And the basic premise going in back in 99 and even prior to that was fix the obvious mistake in the significant situation, but we've drifted further and further away from that. Right. And you brought up a good point earlier, just about, you know, being reactive to things and seeing one play happen. And then everybody kind of gets the pitchforks out. And I would imagine it's hard, even for Raj, if he's on Twitter, like looking at what everyone's saying, this, this league's got all these problems. And I was watching something the other day where it was like the full-time ref thing just keeps people keep pounding the table. And I've never felt like that has to really be um, something that's just going to fix things. I also think Dean, and I'd be interested in your opinion. I think it's always going to be impossible to get everything right. And we just have to accept that you have to outplay the other team. And sometimes it's not always going to be fair. Like this, it's, this is a sport that's going to try its hardest, but it's never going to be perfect. No, you're absolutely right. And sometimes we forget. And there's, there's three groups of people that affect games, right? Coaches, players, and officials, but the officials are the only ones that are held to a standard of perfection, right? We, Players drop passes. The coaches make the wrong call. You know, every play, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, it's supposed to be a touchdown, right? But we know not every play is a touchdown. And so somebody missed an assignment some, somewhere or somebody missed a tackle on that big, that big touchdown run. But officials are the only ones that are expected to be perfect, and they're, they're going to make mistakes too. And, and if you look at over the course of a game, they make the fewest mistakes, you know, from coaches and players – but again, we're always focusing on those handful of plays each game where we, we either the officials did made a mistake or we didn't agree with the call. Yeah, I don't want to come off as too pro ref in a football uh, conversation <laughs> here because Can't of course that. because of course Vikings fans think that the refs are out to get them and they cheer for the Packers and all those things. But uh, I, for one summer, I umpired like 16 to 18 year olds playing baseball and oh my wow. god dean i just, I was just yeah. like this is so hard i mean the first the first pitch the batter swung at it and it went back to the backstop and i was like ball like i didn't even see the guy swing <laughs> like just it is so it is so difficult and uh of course some coaches were upset about that so i do have sympathy but i think that you do an incredible job explaining the rules and that it brings a lot to broadcasts when you have a, a chance to you know, have something like that. So I want you to continue to have a job with controversies, but I don't think that's ever yes. going to change, Dean. <laughs> no, it's never going to change. We're always going to have something to talk about, and that keeps that keeps this rules analyst position <laughs> alive. But but you make a great point, and that that's one thing where the people that actually go out and do it, and and there's young people around the country that go out and officiate, and we get we get the benefit of of, of watching the play in slow motion from five or six different angles. They have to make that call one time from their angle at full speed. And I think sometimes we there's a disconnect in uh, you know between those two things. Yeah, and anybody who wants to see how different it is now and how much better it is now, go back. I like to watch old games on YouTube. Go back and see some of the yeah. calls that used to happen in games from 1993 or something. So it's always, uh, it's always yeah. improving, but it takes time. So, Dean, this was very cool. I appreciate all the explanations, and I feel like I understand the world better now that you have been here. <laughs> That's a cool job you have, appreciate that people it. always understand things better after you're done talking. 
Yeah, but then, you know, a couple of days later, you'll forget like everybody else. And then <laughs> we'll, we'll, have to re- we'll have to do a refresher. Yeah, that's that's very right. Uh, <laughs> Dean, uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dean Blandino, Fox Sports Rules Analyst and... Yep, we need them. 